Back when I worked in a bookstore and I did retail over Christmas, I learned about the seasons. There was the beach book season, which started sometime around April and ran all summer long. Then there was horror book season, which started sometime around September and went right on through Halloween. And there was craft and cooking season, which was November and December. The last of the four seasons at the bookstore is the biggest of all, diet book season. Diet book season starts at 12.01 the morning of the new year. Because all that joy and excess of the holiday season, when you've had more latkes and Christmas cake and shortbread and booze than any human being should ever consume, makes you ready to exchange the hedonism of the holidays for the temperate and moderate new year. It's a time of resolving to make yourself a better, more compassionate, friendlier, happier, you guessed it, fitter you. In fact, New Year, New You is the crux of a lot of New Year's marketing these days. After the holidays, we've worked up an appetite for moderation. So it's reasonably appropriate to talk about moderation that people sell to people who have resolved not to buy things, the foods that people sell to people who have re resolved not to indulge, and all the crazy ways that people have packaged eating less for better health. And all the crazy ways that people have packaged eating less for better health. That's right. Today we're talking about fad diets. I'm Tamara McNeil, and this is She Eats Rations. Well, 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 look who's here. I haven't seen you in many a year. If I, I knew you were coming, I'd a bake a cake, bake a cake, bake a cake. If I knew you were coming, I'd a bake a cake. Hot you do, hot you do, hot you do. Had you dropped me a letter, I'd a hired a band, grand band in the land. Dieting is something humans have been doing for a long, long time. In fact, we've probably been doing it as long as we've been concerned about beautifying ourselves, which is something in the neighborhood of 100,000 years. And because English is sprawling and bizarre, we're talking about diets. But there are a couple different kinds of diets, so let's be clear. There's your diet, things that you eat on a regular basis, including your cultural staples, like bread or rice. Then there's your diet, the way that you restrict your food intake in order to achieve a body image goal or improve your health. Then there's that third diet, the weird one, the one that's spelled the same but means an assembly of people. We're not using that definition. Uh, but for the record, if you see something about Martin Luther and the diet of worms, it's not how it sounds. Diet crazes and celebrities have been interlinked forever. Today we're going to do a whirlwind tour of the three most notable, most bizarre, and most forgotten diet fads in the Western world. So let's start with number one. Probably the first celebrity to popularize a diet was Mr. Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know himself. Lord Byron almost certainly had an eating disorder. His usual daily fare was vinegar and water and dry biscuits, and on special occasions, like, for example, when he was called upon to duel, he would occasionally have a raw egg cracked in his coffee. So that he didn't feel hungry, Byron then took up smoking cigars. And not content with destroying his own health, he took it upon himself to use his position as a paragon of fashion to wreck the health of others. For example, he believed, vocally and in public, that women should never be seen eating anything— unless it was lobster salad or champagne. Perhaps unsurprisingly, his wife divorced him after about a year. Number two on the list of forgotten fad diets is Fletcherism, also known as the Chew-Chew Diet. This was a diet where the diner was supposed to chew each mouthful of food at least a hundred times, leading to not only a long and silent meal, but also mouthfuls of unutterable glop. It's not quite as bonkers as it sounds, actually. Fletcher understood that the mouth was the first stop on the road to digestion, and he reasoned that if people could better digest their food, they would have better health. 
in an era of fast living, telegraphy was about to completely upend the world of news, and North Americans were going to stand breathless as the notorious murderer Dr. Crippen and his mistress, dressed as a man, were involved in the very first media circus chase across the Atlantic that, in some ways, strongly resembles a white bronco chase of my own lifetime. Incidentally, pizza delivery sales during the white bronco chase of my lifetime went through the roof. I can't say if there was a culinary impact of the Crippen case. Anyway, what I'm getting at here is that things were speeding up. Suddenly news traveled at the speed of sound, a motor car was just appearing around the world, and there were still rumors that if you could get a car up to 30 miles an hour, the driver would expire from the force of the wind. People were starting to make the first airplanes, and Fletcher figured that everything was going too damn fast, and it was no good for us. His solution was to slow down and focus on eating. While Fletcherism sounds like a good way to completely destroy anything pleasing on a plate in front of you, he hadn't gone entirely off campus. Eating more slowly does allow your digestive system to detect fullness earlier and tell your brain that you're sated. Also, it's important not to gulp your food like a seagull. Good try, Fletcher. A plus for effort, but C minus for execution. Third on our list of forgotten fad diets is my favorite, Dr. Lulu Hunt Peters' diet. Now, you have probably never heard of Dr. Lulu Hunt Peters and maybe never heard of this diet, which is why I am including it on a list of forgotten fad diets. But it is, in fact, very likely that you've practiced it, either now or in the past. Lula Hunt-Peters was an American medical doctor in the early part of the 20th century. At this time, there weren't a lot of women doctors. Now, she wasn't the first, or even one of the first, female medical doctors in the U.S. That honor belongs to Elizabeth Blackwell, who received her medical degree in January of 1849. Seventy years later, though, there still weren't a lot of women practicing medicine in the U.S., Possibly more impressively, Dr. Hunt Peters penned the very first diet book sensation. Prior to the 19th and 20th centuries, people had a heck of a hard time putting on weight owing to all the manual work, the loads of physical activity, and the relative scarcity of food. At the dawn of the industrial food system, we had more easily, cheaply, and regularly available food. And so we started to see an increasing waistline and fashionable backlash to fat. Being overweight went from a sign of wealth and success to a sign of indolence and immoderation. It's a stigma that lingers today when we talk about a treat as being sinful. Lulu Hunt-Peters was born in the late Victorian era. The industrial food system was just gaining steam, and she grew up in a prosperous household. She also grew up hefty. That's not my word, that's the word I always see associated with her. Little Lulu reached a weight of 220 pounds at one point. An awful lot to weigh for that poor kid. Part of her interest in medicine was driven by her interest in her weight, why we put it on, how we keep it on, and more important to her, how to lose it if it's unhealthy. She compiled the latest research, analyzed outcomes, and in the grand tradition of the heroic era of medicine, she tried everything out on herself. She lost 32 kilograms, and that was it. She found her place where her passion intersected with the needs of the world, and it was diet. After she received her medical degree, she wrote a newspaper column that was syndicated in hundreds of newspapers, a one-woman public health evangelist. She wrote with a female audience in mind, since food and health were largely the women's domain. Finally, in 1919, Dr. Hunt-Peters published her landmark book, Diet and Health with Key to the Calories. That last word is the most important word. If you're familiar with that word in the context of diet, health, weight, and food, then you have Dr. Hunt-Peters to thank. Dr. Hunt-Peters' amazing diet stipulated that if you wanted to lose weight, you needed to eat fewer calories than you expended. And if you wanted to gain weight, you needed to eat more calories than you expended. People went bananas. From 1922 to 1926, her book was one of the top 10 best-selling books in the entire United States. 
which puts her firmly in the category of pioneer of the diet industry, and also, weirdly, makes her a pioneer of public health, too. Her advice was clear, simple, easy to use, supplemented with cartoons, and aimed at people who are making and serving food. Great stuff. You might think that with such reasonable, practical, and sensible advice available, we'd be doing pretty well on the fat front these days. Well, here are some figures. As of 2014, almost a quarter of Canadians are considered significantly overweight. The more we learn about obesity, the worse the news gets. In fact, obesity is poised to overtake smoking as the leading cause of preventable death for Canucks. The Public Health Agency of Canada's webpage states, there may also be a relation between psychiatric conditions and excess weight. So that's even more bad news. And yet, we, like our American neighbors, a third of whom fall into the significantly overweight category, spend piles of money on diet-related things. Meal replacements, meal supplements, programs, books, advice. Over $230 million bucks were spent in Canada in 2017 just on diet. And it's even more in the United States. Given everything that's going on with fad diets, here's a thing I find incredibly interesting. Dr. Lulu Hunt-Peter's diet book came out almost 100 years ago, and when it did, the word calorie entered the common parlance. Everybody is reasonably familiar with it. We have standards for approximately how many calories the average person should eat a day, and food packages are all printed with caloric information. We know that, in generally healthy individuals, if you eat a lot, you gain weight, and if you eat less and exercise more, you tend to lose it. The trouble is, stuff like that doesn't sell anything. Well, now we have paleo and Atkins and the GI plan and the master cleanse, but let's save cleanses for another day. Plus, we are going gluten-free, lactose-free, sugar-reduced. There are all kinds of different diets, some fad, some medical, some straddling the blurry line between the two, and it shows no sign of abating. Incidentally, here in Canada, if you are worried about your weight, you can go see your doctor about it. They'll help you out. It won't cost you a thing. Maybe grab yourself a copy of Diet and Health with Key to the Calories to take with you. They go for pretty cheap on Amazon. And where it is, the diet book industry in Canada is a little bit soft this year. All right, that's it for me today. Thanks again for tuning in to She Eats Rations. A uh, quick shout out to the sponsors for this episode, Colleen, Teresa, David, Nikki, and of course, Jason. Thank you so much for supporting me on Patreon and slinging ideas for episodes on Twitter. That's it for me. I'm Tamara McNeil, and you can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can always reach me at tamthewriter at gmail.com if you want, and that's great. The theme music is If I Knew You Were Coming, I'd Have Baked a Cake, sung by Eileen Barton. Technical production is by Jason Dethridge, who's doing this for free, and is also a member of a band called Tizak Hamra, which is a thing you might enjoy. You came from, cause I don't know where you've been, but it really doesn't matter. Grab a chair and fill your platter and dig, dig, dig right in. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. Hired a band. Goodness sake, if I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. Do I have to do? I have to do.